Hello and welcome to Yellow Chair Collective. We are a psychotherapy practice based in Los Angeles. My name is Jack Lamb and I am an outreach coordinator and therapist at Yellow Chair Collective and I will be your host for this interview. Today we will be speaking on burnout prevention and stress management with our fellow YCC therapist Catherine Chan. As we're moving into our second year living in a global pandemic, I think many of us have had some expectations of returning to a sense of normalcy and now kind of finding that instead of returning, we're actually readjusting to a new normal. I know from my own experience, this has been incredibly challenging and you know it's prompted many of the people around me to kind of reevaluate and reassess their priorities, including you know, a big part of it, their careers. So I wanted to talk to and learn from Kat today because I've been hearing a lot about people experiencing exhaustion, feeling unproductive, and just a larger sense of detachment in their lives. Today, I really just wanted to dig deeper into burnout because you are our resident expert and you've also been providing webinars and training on the topic. So welcome, Kat. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Um, and as Jack mentioned, I am a psychotherapist with Yellow Chair Collective. Um, I specialize in burnout, as well as anxiety, depression, trauma, and Asian American mental health. And uh, in my spare time, I'm also a yoga meditation teacher. So I heard that you actually underwent a career change into becoming a therapist. And before this, you were working corporate especially in the times now, I, I've been hearing like the words, like the great resignation being thrown around. A lot of people are undergoing career changes. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mental health uh, as a career was not on my radar whatsoever. So I wanted to work in marketing and advertising. And I did for several years. Um, I worked at ad agencies making uh, TV commercials, digital advertising campaigns. And, you know, the beginning of it was um, perfectly fine. Um, and then I started to just notice that I wasn't resonating with the work as much. Over time, I just started to grow really resentful. I felt so much dread going into work. And I just started to really key in on the fact that something wasn't really working for me. It wasn't until I started to embark on my own mental health journey that eventually enabled me to get out of there and start doing things that actually did resonate with me, things that I actually cared about. And so um, I would say it was definitely a few small steps along the way. Um, and at the time, I had no idea that it was going to lead me to being a therapist. And I just started to kind of listen to that little voice inside that was telling me that something was really, really wrong. From there, I started doing more things that I cared about and that I liked and that I was naturally really good at. So I started doing a lot of yoga. I did a teacher training and started to teach here and there. And then I uh, learned about mindfulness and meditation. And that was when it really took off. I started recognizing the importance of my own mental health as well as everybody else's. And so from there, uh, following each of those little mini steps, um, I eventually found my way to, to therapy and here we are today. That's amazing. I think one of the things that really stood out to me is kind of how like seamless and um, 
easy you make it sound, but you know, when you're in the process, it can be so, so scary, right? Like contemplating a whole career change. You said it was like the small steps for you, right? Going into yoga first, and then now you're a full-fledged like therapist. So how did you make that decision? Because I know even like becoming a therapist, you probably had to go back to school and that was probably a big decision. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And you're so right that when you're in the process of noticing that there's something wrong and before you know what you're going to do about it or where it's going to take you, that is an incredibly difficult and scary place to be in. And it sounds easy to summarize it in a couple sentences looking back on it. That process for me, honestly, took years that I just kind of captured in a few sentences. It was really, really challenging for the longest time. I didn't know what I was going to do. I had no idea where it was going to lead me. It was simply about um, figuring out what the right next step was, I think. So I started off noticing that I didn't really like doing advertising anymore. And this didn't feel right to me. So then I started to ask myself, well, what do I like to do? What am I really good at? And so that led me to say yoga. Okay, well, let me do a little bit more of that. And I started to do a little bit more of that. And I found that I really wanted to share yoga. So how do I share yoga? So I started to get trained in it. And I started sharing it with whoever will listen. And it just started to kind of like spiral in a really positive way from there. Um, And throughout that entire time, I had no idea that it was going to lead me to mental health. It was just the process of of almost like surrendering to not knowing and just Mm -hmm. working on what was in front of me and what did feel good that allowed me to take the next step and the next step. And when I started to realize that mental health was actually a really big part of my life in my own personal way, and also a huge need for other people, that's when I started to think, okay, how do I, what is this whole being a therapist thing all about? Let me find out more information about that. I went into my own therapy, which is the best way to learn about therapy is to just do it. (laughs) And uh, from there, I started to put the pieces together. It started to feel like, okay, maybe this is something that I could do. Okay. If I wanted to, how do I do that? So then it started to feel more tangible. And I started looking into graduate school programs. And um, I started to go to uh, shadow some classes and surround myself with those conversations. It felt like the exact right place to be once I got there. And so making the decision to take the plunge It became easier and easier with each step. There was a lot of hesitation along the way, actually. Um, It took me a year before I actually applied. After knowing that I wanted to get into mental health, I chickened out for a (laughs) year. And then I finally did it. um, And it turned out to be the best decision I've ever made. That's amazing. I think that year of like the contemplation, I definitely hear like the fear and the anxiety of the unknown, like the uncertainty. And a lot of these big decisions often come with kind of um, ambivalence. That is the word. It comes with that ambivalence, right? Like you could go down this way or you could do that. And, you know, it sounds like you're really, really happy where you are right now. And I really actually wanted to reiterate something that you just said, because I thought it was so powerful was that you surrendered into the not knowing I think that is so, so difficult and so important too, because, you know, we're living in a time where there's so much anxiety and so much unknown, you know, there's the Delta variant, there's socio-political and geopolitical things happening all over the world. And we have unprecedented access to that kind of information. 
Mm-hmm. And it can feel very overwhelming. Just your story, I, I hope, really resonates with a lot of people. And I'm gl- so glad, again, that you're here to share that with us. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a question that I really like to ask just, you know, everyone <laughs> in this field. I wonder, like, how do you see your social identities or your life experiences informing your journey or your work as a therapist and as a yoga and meditation teacher? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think about that a lot, actually. It's definitely been my personal life experiences that have led me to do this work. Um, And on that front, I have always been a sensitive person. What that means is that I simply feel things very deeply. Um, It's really wonderful feelings like joy and curiosity, as well as the really difficult feelings. I'm Chinese American, second generation. So what that means is that my parents are immigrants to the U.S. and I am somebody who was born in the U.S. And growing up, uh, my family and I went through a lot of hard things. So things like dealing with the impact of immigration, um, socioeconomic status and the challenges that come with that, uh, separations in our family, addiction. And so I found myself having a lot of big feelings and no place to help me understand them and how to feel them. Those personal experiences are really what sort of eventually brought me to to this work because it was a very personal journey for my own mental health. And out of that personal healing and growth, it made me want to share that with other people. I actually think that it's those types of ups and downs and those difficult life experiences that allow me to be my most compassionate and wisest self in therapy as somebody's therapist. And it's not so much having it all together, knowing what to do and having had the perfect life growing up. And it's actually the opposite that makes you so equipped to do this kind of work. And so I bring the fact that I am Chinese American, daughter of immigrants, and the fact that I'm a cisgender woman into my therapeutic process knowing those things really helps to inform some of the potential context or challenges that some of my clients may be going through. And so I always try to keep that in mind when I'm working with whoever is in front of me, while also doing that balancing act of knowing that their experiences are very personal and unique to them, and they may be different from mine as well. I really, really love that because I think a lot of psychology and a lot of like therapy spaces sometimes see social identities as separate from like mental illness or mental health, Mm -hmm. as if, you know, bringing in your own background and your own experience is a detriment, as if that kind of makes you biased or that makes you less effective because you're not able to have this kind of like sanitized kind of like base and what that really means is cisgender white (laughs) male perspective usually Mm -hmm. so I think it's really important and I'm I'm really glad to see that more and more people are bringing in more diverse perspectives into the field with that being said I really really want to jump into kind of more of the burnout questions if that's okay yeah Right. So earlier, I, you know, I talked about the, the great resignation with the COVID pandemic. And so what that is, is people, especially in the service industry, but really in many other industries, too, are deciding that their jobs have either gone too stressful or that they don't really find as much fulfillment in their jobs anymore. And this sounds to me like it could be related to burnout. 
especially when you talk about the three dimensions of burnout in your presentations and trainings. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what those are. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I love bringing in the work of really brilliant minds out there who could help me understand a little bit more about what's going on on the inside of us and all around us. And so the framework for burnout that I'm really drawing from is the work of Christina Maslach, who is a psychologist and a researcher who specializes in the field of burnout. According to her research and her framework, burnout is this um, specific condition or experience that is different from stress or having a bad week at work. And it's really comprised of three different dimensions. And so the first dimension is exhaustion, a physical and emotional and mental just depletion of all of your internal resources. And that dimension I think is uh, the one that most people are super familiar with when they think about or say, I'm really burned out, they, they oftentimes mean that they are so exhausted and overwhelmed. And then there's two other dimensions that I think are lesser known or less obvious. And so the second one is this sense of cynicism and detachment. And so it's this sense of starting to feel really pessimistic or having a very negative outlook towards the work that you're doing and starting to basically shut down a little bit or feel really detached from the work um, itself. Oftentimes you kind of hear people say like, what's the point of this? It's not going to get better. And this just sucks. This is just hard and it sucks. And I don't really care anymore. And then finally, the third dimension is this uh, sense of inefficacy and a lack of this personal um, accomplishment in your field. So all inefficacy means is that you sort of no longer feeling effective in the goals that you set out or the tasks that are at hand in your work. There's a lot of ineffectiveness, not feeling like you're making an impact in any way or not having that sense of personal accomplishment or pride in what you do anymore. It's this feeling of like, why do I even bother? Nothing I do is even having an impact um, or seeing the meaningfulness uh, that I previously may have had in this work. Sometimes it helps to kind of just have that laid out in front of you so that you can start to see that burnout is this more comprehensive and nuanced experience than simply being stressed or feeling really tired. That was such a great sum summarization of like the three dimensions and you really helped paint a picture of how vivid you know like a person experiencing burnout is and I also kind of heard a little bit from your past experience working in marketing and advertising maybe that's something that you experienced yourself and I was wondering because sometimes I, I think a lot about previous generations and how they used to say, and maybe this is like my own bias of like my parents where they were like, oh, it's just a job. You know, you go there to make money or you're not there to feel like purposeful or make a difference. So I think on one hand, it's amazing. I, a lot of our generation, our younger folks are more values oriented in a way. They want to feel purposeful and they want to feel that sense of accomplishment and alignment with their work. I'm wondering, can you talk a little bit about what do you do when you find yourself in that space? Like, how do you make that call or decision? Because it is, a, it is a really big and tough one. Absolutely. It can involve little changes that you make in your everyday life to a very big decision or a series of big decisions that you eventually make about the kind of work that you do, the environment that you're in, and how you want to spend your time versus how much resources and monetary compensation you want to bring in, because that's an important piece of it too. Right. Um, 
I think that when somebody is faced with burnout, the most important thing is to first stop. Um, we have to acknowledge that there's something that isn't working. Uh, maybe there's many things that aren't working. And I think this is the place where a lot of people get tripped up, myself included. It's so hard to stop the routine and the autopilot of what is already happening. And there can be a whole variety of reasons for that, um, from fear of the unknown to um, wanting to just uh, know what's going on here and stay in that safety instead of diving into something that you don't know anything about or how it's gonna turn out um, to logistical worries about how are you going to support yourself or your family or take care of the things that you need to take care of. So there are so many things that get in the way of needing to stop, but I think it's such a critical step in recovering from burnout um, where we have to start to acknowledge and accept that we're feeling really overwhelmed and detached. And the only way to be able to combat that is to take some time. And that could look like a variety of ways. It might mean um, taking more breaks throughout the day so that you have time to stop every single day. It might mean taking longer times um, to rest and recuperate. Um, and either way, we need to find ways to stop. And then with that stopping, that pausing, it allows us to rest, to actually regain our mental capacity again, our passion, our spirit. And it also allows us to reflect on what exactly is not working anymore. And I think that piece is just as important as the stopping part, because if you stop and you go back to exactly everything the same, then things may not actually change. But when you stop and then you add the reflection piece, and look at what's not working for you, you can then start to take that knowledge and start to make little changes in your life that may lead to more changes in the future, that may lead to more changes after that. So you don't have to have it all figured out. You just have to take that very first step. I love what you just said, because like what I hear is that making that choice to stop and rest is a very conscious and courageous choice. And it's very critical, as you said, to kind of foster that sense of self-awareness. And now that you've brought up rest, I really wanted to dive into the, the other part of your presentation, which I thought was super interesting, something that's very new to me. This graphic that you had on your slide that described the seven types of rest, and they are physical, mental, social, sensory, emotional, spiritual, and creative. So that is a lot of types of rest. And when I think of rest, I think of maybe take a nap or maybe go on vacation. I, you know, I generally don't break it down or I don't know how to break it down or kind of categorize into these kinds of rest. So why do you think it's kind of important to understand the types of rest and how do we know what kind of rest we need? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, so I love this framework. This comes from uh, Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, who is a medical doctor, and she has this fantastic TED Talk uh, that we can include in our show notes later. Um, but she outlines this framework uh, that when I came across this, I was like blown away. Yes, this is so, so it, because you're so right that when we talk about rest, people think, oh, I'm supposed to be like napping or something or going on vacation, taking a breather away from work, and then things will be okay. But what it doesn't acknowledge is that we are 
fully complex human beings with a variety of different needs, not just uh, physical needs and not just mental and intellectual needs. And so um, I love the way that this framework um, acknowledges the fullness of our uh, humanness and allows us to reconnect with some of those aspects of ourselves that we easily forget about because we um, are focused on what we have to get done. Um, oftentimes, and this is my perspective, living in a Western society in America, it's a very sort of cognitive and intellectual um, perspective that we embody and we forget about the rest of us, that we are in a physical body that feels things, that has um, a sense of spiritual connection to a larger world in some shape or form. Um, so seeing that kind of laid out helps me to just be able to reconnect to these sorts of categories. Um, and you were sort of wondering, well, how do we sort of know what it is that we need? Um, and, and this is something that I do a lot of in my therapy work is to help people develop a sense of self-awareness and mindfulness. And so um, oftentimes it's hard to know what we need because we are just moving so fast onto the next thing, planning ahead, maybe thinking about something that happened in the past and we, haven't spent a lot of time noticing how are we in this moment. So I do a lot of this in my therapeutic work with people where we just start to um, increase and spend more time getting to embody ourselves right now and sense what am I really feeling? Am I physically drained in my limbs? Does my heart hurt? Am I having trouble breathing and, and feeling winded? And when we start to sense into what is my actual experience right here, we start to get these cues from our bodies and from our emotions that tell us, hey, we're really feeling way overstimulated and I'm really needing to have some sensory rest. Um, I'm feeling really disconnected to some sort of uh, larger purpose and I'm just overrun by just the day-to-day -day nuances. I need to get back out there and feel a connection to something that's larger than me and maybe tap into that spiritual rest. And so it starts with a sense of awareness, mindfulness, and acceptance of what is showing up for you right now. That's amazing. I think as you were saying all of that, I was like, yes, yes. Oh my God, this is me. Because I'm definitely very guilty, I think, of instead of feeling kind of more so intellectualizing like what I'm feeling, you know, like thinking about the past, thinking about the future, worrying and kind of just being in my head a lot as opposed to kind of understanding what's going on in my body. And I think being able to label these types of rest sounds so helpful. You know, I, I've heard more and more um, some of these terms enter our everyday lingo where people are saying, you know, oh, I don't think I want to go out because my social battery is drained, right? Yeah. So that, that kind of indicates, oh, maybe they need social rest, right? And uh -huh. so I'm, I'm really excited because this is amazing. And maybe we can start incorporating or normalizing, you know, I need sensory rest or I need emotional rest so that we can have that language to kind of describe the kind of experience, the kind of like exhaustion and that kind of rest we need so that we don't get to that burnout, right? <laughs> 
Exactly, exactly. And when we can be really uh, proactive about it, it actually in turn um, helps us to be more productive and more passionate, more connected to what we're doing and more clear about where we're headed and why we're headed there. So I think it has a lot of benefits um, to be able to be proactive about this um, and, and not find yourself um, super burned out though. If you are, that's okay too. You know, we all have to start somewhere. And I know that my journey started when I was feeling so burned out, so lost, and I had no idea what to do. I didn't know about the seven types of rest, um, or about what burnout was. And so we all have to start somewhere and wherever that is, that works just great. Now I'm wondering any last words of wisdom or tips for someone who might be thinking about starting therapy for burnout or for any other reason, that's kind of the general question. And then another question for you is if someone were to sign up as a patient with you, what can they expect from you as their therapist? Uh, I'm gonna tackle that one first. Um, somebody coming in to therapy with me um, can kind of expect the process to feel like um, hopefully a warm hug. <laughs> That's where I like to start. <laughs> so hopefully a warm hug and a ongoing process to get really honest with ourselves about what we're feeling and what's going on. Um, because I think there is so much power in getting really real with ourselves and owning what we're feeling, even if we don't know how to fix it how to solve the problems in our lives or where it's going to take us and if everything is gonna be okay. Um, that is a little bit of the leap of faith that we um, go through, not only when we start therapy, but even when we're making a big change in our lives. And so if you're coming into therapy, kudos to you, it's a hard step. If you're coming into therapy with me, we're gonna get really honest with what's going on. Um, and we're gonna do a lot of mindfulness work as well. I think there's a lot of information that we're not paying attention to oftentimes. Um, like you said, uh, our tendency is to kind of go intellectual up in our brain and to problem solve and to figure things out or the reasons why. And then we start to hit that point where you're like, oh, I know the reasons why, but it only goes so far. And so, getting into um, a therapeutic work where I can help somebody to become more embodied, to start to become aware of what they're really feeling and to own it and accept it and take it as their own, even if they don't know what's gonna happen with it is um, the kind of powerful process that I like to help people through. Um, and hopefully along the way, we can have a little bit of fun and uh, have a little bit of laughter in therapy as well because not everything has to be so serious either. Sometimes laughing with another human being is, it can be really, really healing too. Um, and so if you know, you're somebody out there who is thinking about starting therapy, I would just say that it is a hard step. It took me years before I considered going into therapy um, because I think it, we worry that it would break us. We think that, you know, what if it would be easier to just keep doing what we're doing and hope that things will change. Um, but if there is a little voice inside of you that's telling you something is not working, something is wrong, um, I just encourage you to start by simply listening to that voice. 
Um, so that would be my biggest piece of wisdom to share. And um, honestly, I get a lot of wisdom from uh, poetry and from other brilliant writers and thinkers. And so I would love to share this uh, brief quote from one of my favorite poets. This is from Naira Wahid. And she writes, it is being honest about my pain that makes me invincible. And I really take that to heart in the therapy work that I do. So. Wow. That is a very beautiful quote. And I, I love how you laid that all out. Cause I, I, I think, uh, of course, as a therapist, right? Therapy is so important. And, <laughs> and it is just a little biased. <laughs> And I, you know, I always hear a lot, you know, when I'm talking about therapy work that, you know, sometimes people want answers really quickly, right? Solving their problems. And when you tell them that, oh, there's no promise that we can solve your problems. It's just, you know, it's really a space for you to talk. And they always say, you know, what, I, I don't need to talk to, why would I talk to it? What does that change? How does that help me? And how you framed it, I think, was so powerful is that leap of faith, right? Being able to kind of like lay it all out and how vulnerable that is and kind of parsing through it to kind of really be honest with where you are so that you can be clearer about where you want to be and, you know, what, you, what needs to change for that to happen. Um, Absolutely. I think that whole process of getting really vulnerable and getting in touch with how you feel and having the support of somebody who has been there, who is warm and accepting and can offer also some tools along the way and some experiences along the way, um, it changes who you are. So even if you don't know what the solution is to a problem, um, the point of therapy is that it's changing you little by little, um, unbeknownst to everyday life. Beautiful. So we are at the end of our interview. Uh, I'm just going to say, uh, if you want to read more about Kat Chan or um, find out more about her work, you can always come to the Yellow Chair Collective website or Instagram. Um, but other than that, where else can they find you, Kat Chan? Oh, great question. Uh, they can also follow my Instagram handle. Uh, it's Catherine C. Instagram and uh, also my personal website, CapchanTherapy.com. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad we got to learn and talk to you. Thank you so much, Jack. You're, you've been fantastic and I had so much fun speaking to you.